0: Do I my don't know that. can that. want the more. But I the I want the more. But I want 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 No, man, 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 man.
1: money, 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 money. So today we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about my favorite, uh, <laughs> and that's sarcastically said, uh, elected, selected official from Maryland. Um, and without overstepping what I should and shouldn't say on a public forum, uh, currently, during an investigation I like to say that you know the location of where they come from is quite fascinating especially with their history of money money and money but then i want to bring your attention to some th- some inconsistencies and these inconsistencies are again regarding money There have been many, many times that I've mentioned shell companies, shelf companies, and how they launder money and how they keep it out of the eye of the public. Now, many people struggle to find hmm, the root of all problems, for example. Now, everybody understands that ABC is, you know, the Alphabet Company, uh, is Google, is the CIA, is, 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 is. So, uh, they know where the conglomerate for all communications and data collection, uh, King Central is. But do you know where anything pharmaceutical, is centered. See, I see conversations about Bayer merging with Monsanto and Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Glasgow Klein and all these new pharmaceutical companies that are located around the world that create pharmaceuticals for generic purposes, of course, right? All of those things. I see the conversations, but you're missing the alphabet company. Now, what if I told you the Alphabet Company is the one that's going to tell you a lot more than the regular ones? And that's the thing. We don't know. Is Pfizer really named Pfizer? Or is it named something else? And wait till you see what this company has been doing. And this will segue into uh, tomorrow's episode. That'll be quite interesting. I believe that you will find it extremely interesting to understand the dynamics Of money and experimentation. Tomorrow, we're going to be delving into the atrocities, and it's important for you to understand how they structure themselves uh, and how they get away with this right under your nose. But everything is there if you know what to look for, and if you're actually looking and not just going to thump something online because that uh, gives you an endorphin rush, but to actually understand the dynamic again. Sitting back and watching everything, it will all make sense from 40,000 foot view because there are a lot of people out there that will thump things like, oh, you know, no, it's it's Klaus Schwab. It's Soros. Oh, it's totally BlackRock and Vanguard. And oh, let me tell you. And it's like, damn. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. And look at the things that they sacrifice, the pawns they sacrifice. You think they're going to spell out to you what they're doing? Over two years ago, I spoke to you to look at very specific areas in the world. Highly underrated and highly mm, mystique. I want to say mystical. Now, today, because you know, I'm campaigning, tomorrow I'm supposed to be going to a campaign event. And obviously, it's after everyone's work. So, today I uh, tested out a software where I can actually um, monitor and deploy something that I pre record. Um, you know, I can monitor it on my phone, you know, um, and follow along and, you know, interject with live talk if needed. Um, Um, so so that way I can still campaign and, and still keep you guys there. But again, um, I just wanted to say that. So you guys know tomorrow's episode will make you feel ashamed to be an American. And I'm telling you this now. So you don't feel that way. Do not be ashamed of things you cannot control. It's like telling a victim to be embarrassed for being a victim do not be embarrassed for being an American because you did not do this. Those in few seats did that. And that happened way before your time. And some happened during your time, but how would you know? It was obfuscated. So I want you guys, uh, I'm I'm, I'm saying this now for tomorrow. So it sits in things you cannot control. You cannot blame yourself for The, the minute you have the ability to have this information or to understand it. You must internalize, you know, that thought. You must accept it as having happened and then find ways to remedy it and ensure that it never happens again. So to start with, let's talk clean out money. So obviously I can't speak to the point of what I want to say about the state of Maryland, but I can tell you that Jamie Ratskin, who I've done two extensive episodes on um, who's constantly thumping the 25th Amendment, right? And we talked about his wife, Sarah Bloom Raskin, right? And you guys know she's on the chopping block right now. Um, well, obviously, because she wants to um, be confirmed uh, for Fed FedServe and people are just not having it. Uh, she was actually nominated uh, to be part of the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors and her job is money. She's all about money. But her nomination has been stuck in the Senate Banking Committee since um, all Republicans refused to vote her in. And that's because she's radicalized. She's not like the type of Democrat they can control, like Ratskin. He's not controllable. He toes the line of Democrat and crazy globalist, right? There's Democrats that lean to globalism, but those quickly flip when they see shit that the Republicans don't agree with, right? Kind of like Joe Manchin. He's a Democrat, but he's really a Republican, pretending to be a Democrat. And when I say Republican, I mean Rhino, right? Because we have a serious issue with our Republican Party, extremely serious. And I'd love to share with you ideas of rectification on that, but that would be giving away a playbook, which I want to keep close to my heart at the moment. So, um, Having said that, Joe Manchin said, there's no way he's going to vote for her, right? Um, he's not voting for Raskin. He doesn't want her to be on the Federal Reserve Board. You know, they're really pushing on this and, and they're, and they're hardcore on this. Okay. And so, um, Toomey has asserted that Raskin would seek to use the federal regulatory authority to discourage banks from lending to oil and gas drilling companies. Again, like I said, these are all rhinos and they go by rhino mentality, but she is beyond that. When I tell you her and her husband, right, her and her husband have been sitting on a false front in their backyard, collecting money from foreign interest to fund, and execute riots and rally-ish type insurgencies. I'm being dead serious on that one. So I can't speak in detail about that yet. Because it's under investigation, so I can't talk about things that are under investigation. But, um, (sighs) What we can talk about is her amazing friendship with Jen Psaki. And the reason they want her there is because if the Federal Reserve says no, then the Keystone pipeline can't go forward because the Keystone is the Keystone to everything. Right now, Putin has turned off the gas. He's just reiterating the favor, right? Since we have taken away McDonald's, Coca-Cola, the Internet and all this stuff that makes people lazy, he decided to cut off everybody's gas so they can start walking around so they can get healthy, too got no gas, you got two feet. It's a joke. There's like this um, company called Peugeot. Peugeot is a car, um, which has a symbol of this like lion thing. And um, in England, they call it Renault, right? (laughs) Anyway, Peugeot also means peso, which means feet. <laughs> so feet. So it seems like they want everyone to, to be driving around in Peugeots, right? Uh, you know, Peugeot 2, 2 feet. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be fun. But anyway, regardless, the Keystone Pipeline is the answer. And uh, they can't get the Keystone Pipeline up because that'll be a very big problem for all of them. See, that will rally up all their, you know, even though they won't have the actors, you know, come on. Like, uh, what's that guy's name? And I really like that actor, too. The one that he looks cute, but he looks like a slob, too. Damn it. I can't put my finger on it. Anyway, um, I keep thinking it's Mark Ruffalo, maybe. Something like that. Um, anyway. Uh, (laughs) they might not get the uh, actors up there because, you know, people are having a problem with Joe Biden lately, you know, very big problem. Uh, But they will have the young groups that they are funding and that Raskin's false front is funding. So it's quite, um, it's going to be quite, uh, I would say, fascinating uh, to watch them uh, squirm uh, when this whole thing Pops up as a need be, Uh, because, you know, in the end, uh, that's exactly what is happening right now. Uh, The the discussions that are being had is about increasing uh, the energy independence of the United States, which goes against the Green New Deal policies uh, that... Uh, Joe Biden signed on to. And if you remember correctly, with my reporting back in 2020 and 2019, the people actually signing off on these policies and actually creating the policies for the Biden campaign were leadership individuals within the Sunrise Movement and other uh, domestic terror organizations that hire children. Um, So uh, I wanted to share with you guys a satirical Uh, video that a Greek woman put together her name is Valentina Dimopoulou and I saw it on Facebook and I just couldn't resist I was like oh my god I'm totally putting this here Um, I had her you know she created it and I took it here we go
2: hello Americans Uh, this is Natasha from Russia and we want to thank you for all your sanctions for taking away from our country Coca-Cola, KFC, McDonald's and all that shit. We understand that you take care of our healthy healthness. Health is healthy. And uh, that's why we will we'll be stronger and more beautiful and without fat. So, we take care of you too, and that's why we cut our gas. So, you have to walk by foot instead of using your cars. Don't thank you. Don't don't say thank you. Um, friendship. I am so sorry. I have to go to feed my bear and drink vodka and play Balalaika right now. Uh, See you later. From Russia with love. Yep.
1: So a little bit of humor there because Russia is indeed a distraction. Those that are, uh, you know, focusing on that are giving us big issues in what we can do. so it's a, it's a very big pain point for the majority of us right now, because this is all they're pushing Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Russia. And what's incredible is I saw this um video explaining away why gas prices are so high. And what was interesting is, is that instead of them admitting that there's an issue right in respects to um, His policies and turning our energy over, um, they're constantly trying to say that the reason we have issues with uh, money and gas is because, you know, of Ukraine. But if you remember correctly, we started our stickers in the summer of last year. And look where we are today.
3: Stickers of Biden that is pointing to the high prices and say, you know, that's because of me. I did that. There's there's one of these stickers. This is really catching on. There's there's I did that. This is really catching on. And to me, Nicole, it's an example of how a meme, something online can actually
4: manifest in the real world.
5: Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty savvy because it's something that people, you know, when you're filling your car up with gas, you're right. staring at the numbers go up and up and up. And now you have this little sticker that tells you, you know, who's to blame for this? Joe Biden. So it's a very effective messaging, even though it's completely. Wrong. Mm. Have you
1: not- <laughs> yeah. Effective messaging. Like I told you uh, last year, what we started to be, you know, to do, which was, you know, the writing of the letters, the lawfare. I mean, again, the letters that you wrote to your attorney generals found their way into the lawsuits at the Supreme Court where they filed against the OSHA mandate and struck it down. Okay, your stickers now are... (laughs) are pissing them off beyond belief and you just keep going and going and going. You know, we were putting them on vax mandate things, on, you know, mask mandates things, stickers everywhere when your food was expensive and look at everyone doing it now. And yesterday when I was at um, uh, Boardman, Ohio, obviously there aren't any Tesla superchargers there. So I had to park at a Nissan and hijack some Nissan Leaf plugs. <laughs> which was interesting. Spent two hours to just get 100 miles worth of charge. It was like drip, drip, drip. But I watched some really sad Korean movies, so that made up for it. It was about S&M bondage, and I was like, damn, they're bringing that mainstream in Korea. But anyway... um I, I went to the gas station to buy cigarettes because they're cheaper there than they are in Cleveland. And there was a guy really pissed off at how much the gas was costing him. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know, for my window, you don't like the gas prices? And I reached my hand out with a stack of stickers. And he was like, "Um, no, 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 thank you. I already paid for it. I was like, no, man, you can protest it here. You just put that on their price tag right there. And you just keep doing that at every gas station so people remember who did it. And he was so grateful. He's like, we're going to get more. This is how you do it. Just because I don't have a gas card doesn't mean that I don't put stickers. I stop for cigarettes. Um, <laughs> or I just hand them out. You'll be very surprised. I mean, if gas stations actually sold the stickers, damn, they'd make bank, seriously. Um, but anyway, having said that... Um, they're constantly getting irritated by people pointing things out. And the fact that, um, you know, Sarah Raskin isn't being put in is important. And that has to do with the people because one thing that she's done has been quite vocal in regards to how she believes that climate change uh, has an impact on financial stability. Now, the reason that I'm bringing up climate change is because one of the key nations, or I should say it annex nations, or I should say it, human experimentation nations that is owned by the United States, by the way, is used as one of the most um, popular reasons as to why we need to fix climate change. (laughs) Because it's not because we do something to provoke changes in the water. Yeah. Operation Popeye, (laughs) what are you talking about? But, you know, I digress. So, this woman wants to be part of the Federal Reserve, which would actually cause great harm to programmable cryptocurrency. And that is a concern that everyone should have. And one thing that she has said is that policymakers need to have a bigger vision. It's very important you listen to this because she was former Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Treasury during Obama. And so funny because the person collecting all this money for these riots like the Sunrise Movement and T-Fund stuff was also an attorney at the Department of Energy and Department of Treasury and the IMF. So, so weird, but I digress. Let's see what she had to say because it's quite fascinating when you hear them say it and what they envisioned or what she envisioned as Deputy Secretary of the Treasury and what she said when she was kicked out when Trump went to office.
6: You told me that when you were at the Fed, you actually decided to go out and meet some humans. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about what you did? You know, it, at the Fed, you know, you you go through reams and reams of macro uh, data, which is aggregated at a very high level, um, there's are many series of data so you can try to put together a picture. But um, it was clear to me anyway, that the data might not be telling the full story of the, um, in particular what I was interested in at the time was the quality of jobs that were being created um, immediately after the crisis. Um, and so one day on my way into the, to the Federal Reserve Board, I saw a sign and the sign uh, said that there was a job fair um, at a local community college. And I thought, well, you know, I, I don't really have any pressing reason to be coming into these data sheets at the moment. I think I'll take a detour. And um, I did. And I, I went to this um, job fair um, to, to really just see what kind of jobs were being, um, were being offered. Uh, and it wasn't exactly what I expected. It was a lot of a lot of um, jobs at swimming pools, um, which I thought was interesting. I probed a little bit to find out what kind of jobs those were. They were lifeguard jobs. I thought, oh, well, that's interesting that a college education here is going to be necessary to be a lifeguard. But um, I, I didn't see
1: much else. in terms. Here's where I want to interject. Let me get a little personal with you because I forgot that she had said this in this clip. So, when I filed my first complaint against the state of North Dakota, specifically the Attorney General and the Governor with the Department of Justice, my concern was a State Department program uh, that would import students through colleges overseas, right? really young students between the ages of 17 and 22, to do just that to be lifeguards at pools, and we would pay for it. It would be a study abroad program. It was with American Pool Enterprises. I've talked about it before in the past, and I did a whole detailed analysis of it and provided it uh, to uh, the... Um, Uh, Department of Justice concerning about uh, American pool enterprises operating in the state of North Dakota, because most of the foreign students from places like Thailand or Ukraine seem to disappear or not come back. And there is a lot on American uh, pool enterprises that you can look up under the FOIA thing through emails about Hillary Clinton and the State Department and what they were doing. So that was number one key right there. Um, the uh, pools and the lifeguard. So I'm shocked uh, she uh, said that because that was fascinating. Now, the woman that you're watching and or listening to is Sarah Bloom Ratskin. I mean, Raskin. She's Jamie Ratskin's wife, right? She was a staffer in Congress. And and, and I'll tell you what is fascinating is that she's caught the eye of Legistorm and people call her a so-so person, <laughs> That's the reading she's gotten within the house. And so she's sitting there talking about the Federal Reserve and how she met some humans, but she did bring up this pool thing. So it's very important that I bring it up. Um, Because that was actually one of the first things I wrote about uh, to the Department of Justice about this um, State Department program importing foreigners that are really, really young to be lifeguards at pools. And specifically for North Dakota, that was a red flag. Like, there's two seasons in North Dakota. It's winter and then road work season. And road work season lasts about, I don't know, three, four months, right? Uh, because then it's constantly snowing and freezing. So the question is, I actually did the math and found out how many pools they have. And every city has its own pool, but it's usually locals that are working. So it was very confusing as to how they were getting money from the State Department and USAID to bring in young people that they were housing up in Dickinson at hotels where, you know, oil workers and truckers were. And most of them were female. I mean, draw your own conclusions there.
6: In terms of particularly interesting jobs, I didn't know if I had anything particular besides the lifeguard observation to take back with me. But as I was leaving uh, the job fair, I saw a big sign that actually said IT jobs. And I thought, okay, this is probably the real deal. These are probably the jobs that require training and advanced, uh, and advanced Degree. I asked about what this IT job was. And um, she said to me, Well, we actually don't know exactly what it is yet, but all you do is you throw in your resume to our database and we do a search of the database to see if it can match any government contracts that are out there. And I remember thinking, wow, I mean the, the labor market has really changed in a way. What happened to the days when you just, you know, go in and you have an interview and you present your resume and there's a discussion about terms and I said but I said what are the probabilities that my resume will get chosen and she said you know about about 25 percent I thought you know that's that's not so good I I, I thought oh but I, I bet the trick of the trade here is that you go and you submit your resume to different places at the same time so I said to her oh I said but you can submit your resume to different job bases can't you and she said, oh no, oh no, because you're gonna sign something ahead of time that says right. this is the only place you're putting your resume in. Anyway, this is probably more detailed than, than you yeah. need, but it was very interesting to me because I saw that the labor market, because there, had been, you know, because there was such labor market surplus after the, after the crisis had changed, in which, the, you know, in which the terms were very, very different. Things had been altered quite a bit. Do you see any sign that policymakers today are trying to actually take a bigger vision of how they evaluate where the economy is going and where the risks are? I think we have to because one of the one of the realities to um, to predicting a crisis or looking for risk is that the data doesn't exist in quantifiable form yet, right? Because these are risks that people might not be able to aggregate yet. And this was clearly the case in terms of the predatory lending practices that were pervasive prior to the crisis, but nobody quite knew how to talk about them in an aggregated way. And as a result, I think that if you were an economist say, and you only really would look at information that could be quantified and you needed to understand what was going on with predatory lending, you might not be able to factor it in the same way you could factor in something that is able to be aggregated. So because of deficiencies, shortfalls in data, I think we need to bring to the table perspectives that some would argue are anecdotal, but on the other hand, could be very important inputs for figuring out what's happening.
1: Anecdotal. And inputs for what's happening. So that was her approachability speech. Look at me. I'm very approachable and you can, uh, you know, trust me. Well, Kennedy didn't seem to think so during her confirmation hearing, and he asked her some questions in banking, and I sincerely apologize for the low volume on that video. I just can't get it any higher. It was the recording of the actual clip, Uh, but I'm sure on podcast, the audio archivist, WH Tempest, will ensure uh, that you can hear it better. But by remaining on the line myself and not muting myself completely, I think you guys can hear it, but just let me know if an echo comes in because I'm trying to remedy that. Now let's listen to Kennedy asking Raskin questions in regards to banking.
7: Um, Dr. Jefferson, Dr. Cook, I'm, I may not get to ask you many questions today because I want to concentrate on on uh, Ms. Raskin's proposal to, to uh, change the mission of the Federal Reserve. But um, I've read about both of you. Um, it's clear to me, we disagree on some things in terms of our politics but in America you can believe what you want That's why it's such a great country um uh, Dr. Jefferson you're at, I believe you're at Davidson you're a professor there yeah there's no better place in America to get a liberal arts education uh Dr. Cook um you're a Truman Scholar and you were a Marshall Scholar you were at St. Hilda's okay you ever met a A Marshall scholar that was a dummy. No, Senator. Me neither. The 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 only advice for what it was was worth for what it's worth that I have for each of you is number one, please don't change the mission of the Federal Reserve. Please don't let it be politicized. Uh, And number two, don't get caught up in the group think over there. Okay. Uh, Only dead fish go with the flow. Don't 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 get caught up in the group think. Now. Ms. Raskin, May of 2020, the world economy is melting down because government shut it down. We're trying to hold it together with bailing wire, duct tape, spit and happy thoughts. And you say that's great, but we ought to let oil and gas companies go broke. Did you really mean that?
6: Well, thank you, Senator Kennedy. You're
7: welcome.
5: For that
6: question. And the Federal Reserve has particular mandates
7: yes,
5: set out but, by law.
7: But I know about all that, but did you, I mean, did you mean it? You said it, here it is, big as Dallas. I read the op-ed. You said, save everybody but the oil and gas industry, and let them go broke. Did you really mean that? So
6: I have been clear on my views. The whole point of the op-ed was that the Fed should not pick winners and losers.
7: Except, Except Gash. and gas. You said they ought, ought be a to be allowed to, to go
6: broke. The Fed, should, Fed not should not pick or favor any, any sector, sector at all. At all. Then, then why, did why did you say it? it? The Fed is not in the business of choosing winners and losers. Then why did you recommend to them that they, they let oil and gas go broke? I did not recommend. this. ma'am. I read the op-ed.
7: There I, it is. its is. Uh, I'm not going to quote it to you, but Senator Toomey pointed out. Why did you mean it? Senator Kennedy,
6: I want you to understand the role of the the, the proper role of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve should not be choosing winners and losers. So
7: you disagree
6: with the editorial? The editorial was one that I wrote, and I wrote it in the context of the Federal Reserve's emergency lending facilities. This was a special program set up by... The CARES Act by the Congress that appropriated taxpayer money. This was a an issue quite unlike the issue of supervision and, and, and you rip- said
7: don't give the money to oil and gas. Let them go broke, because in my opinion, they're bad for the environment. The, Didn't you? The I I want you to understand the
6: context for that article. This had that article had to do with, and did not have to do with supervision and regulation. Dr. Askin, you be-
7: said it, you ought to own it, okay? You ought to own it. I respect. You said it, you ought to own what you said. I'd respect you more if you did. Let me, let me move on to this business of allocating capital. Now look, this is America. You can believe what you want, and I mean that. But I don't agree w- with your mission to politicize the Federal Reserve. I don't believe the Federal Reserve should be politicized either. well, Well, then why did you say it? Why did you say in this June 2020 piece, quote, federal regulatory bodies should allocate capital?
6: It is not the role of the Federal Reserve in supervisory or regulatory matters in its functioning as... Then why did you write it? It was written in a context, Senator... That had to do with emergency lending. It did not have to do with the context of supervision. I
7: mean, I feel strongly about charter schools. Okay, if some president or some chairman of the Federal Reserve said, let's all get together and and uh, allocate capital away, lean on all the banks so they don't fund charter schools. You support that. I mean, you support. You support driving oil and gas industry into bankruptcy. Would, do you think that would be a proper role for the Federal Reserve? No, it's obviously
6: not. The Federal Reserve is not to get involved in allocating credit to any particular sector. So you've
7: changed your mind?
6: I have made my, my, myself completely clear. The whole point of the op-ed was that the Fed should not pick winners and losers or expose taxpayers to undue?
7: Well, so you- Senator, you- Senator uh, Kennedy, your time's expired. Well, no, you, you went three minutes over. Mom. I did, and so did Senator Toomey, but we need
8: this hearing done by 11 o'clock. Well, can you I ask one to you more? Uh, no, you've already gone two minutes over. Senator
1: Warner. Let's just digest what we just heard and saw. So that was the using words against someone. Well, for those of you that are on Facebook, I'll have to disconnect at some point only because they keep knocking it out because when we get into the next topic, it'll be way too much for Facebook. So come find me on Rumble. I'm always there. You can find me on Rumble because what you're going to see is who Pfizer really is and it's not Pfizer and who the animal experiments were done which is still Pfizer, but it's actually not called Pfizer. Hence why it's so difficult to find data on all the crimes of humanity that have been done. But anyway, going back to what um, Miss Ratskin said, I want you guys to understand something. And I want you to take a perspective. This is going to be quite eye-opening, so please follow my thought. In order to destroy a civilization... You must destroy their infrastructure. This is why the wall was so necessary, flooded with so many illegal migrants and sucking off the teat of the government will collapse infrastructure. But if you also collapse the monetary system, how do you do that? You can't just say, hey, we're stopping printing money and we're just going straight to crypto. You can't just do that in America. So what you do is you tank the ability of people to move. You make gas prices high, so the truck drivers have to spend more, so the prices of the goods are more. Therefore, people can't eat anymore. Therefore, they're reliant on the government, and therefore, you've just crushed the market. Climate change, the term climate change is completely man-made. It's been told and sold as such, not because they want to save the people. It's not because they want to help the environment or some turtle with a straw in its nose, right? It's all about collapsing internationally, globally, if it's a globe, structures of nations. This is how it is take a step back the only reason they're raising gas prices is to make you more dependent on them and the more they make you dependent on them inflation goes higher the money means nothing oh we need a reset we need to figure out how to fix this this is why it is that's it that's the simple thing climate change was created in to- in order to destroy our nation and many others it is about control because they lack the control because since we had the internet we had full access to it I' talked about this before. In fact, um, during intermission, I'll play a video where I told you about food credits and how they're programming things. The reason they're doing this, the reason they want to strangulate the oil and gas is not because they want to go green because it doesn't make sense to have windmills, nor solar power. If you're 100% dependent on solar power, you will fail because what if there's no sun? What if there's one of these underwater volcanoes that we will look at tomorrow explodes that has like all this stuff in it, like nuclear stuff, then what? You know, that's the important thing people need to understand. So um, this is why. They're pushing the climate change. It has nothing to do with the climate, but they have been priming people since Suzuki, you know, to not want hairspray. You know, she told us we'd be underwater. She was the Greta Thunberg of the seventies, right? In eighties. So this is it. Climate change is all about collapsing nations upon nations upon nations infrastructure. It's pretty simple. It's not complicated. It's super simple. And when I say about nuclear stuff and underwater volcanoes, I am not referring to Japan. I'm referring to the United States of America. Well, sorta, of, kinda, yeah. Well, you'll learn more about that tomorrow. But uh, one thing that you have to see, and it's a clip here, is her talking about climate change and financial stability. It it's it's as it's it's as idiotic. As the clip from that newspaper we saw today, which had, um, you know, uh, it was from Germany saying that climate change is changing babies in the womb. They're more susceptible to heart disease. It has nothing to do with the forced vaccinations of the moms that are pregnant. It has to do because the sun and temperature and rising waters. So your baby now has a heart condition. See, sometimes you see titles like that and statements they make, and you just see how dumb they believe people are. And no offense, no offense taken, I really don't care. I mean, I'm going to offend people anyway, so whatever. But bottom line is, this is how dumb people are, in fact. Because who would believe a title like that? Oh, yeah, babies are getting more heart disease because climate change. It's just like that video I saw in the airport that dumbfounded me, you know, where they're like, yeah, you know, we're seeing a rise in five to 11-year-olds getting heart attacks and strokes from excessive marijuana use. Totally not the vaccine. That's a conspiracy theory. I'm just like, are you kidding? Like, when have you seen five-year-olds getting lit on marijuana to create an endemic? I mean, it's just beside me. So anyway. Let's watch this clip of her, at like Duke Law in
5: 2019.
9: Here we go. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lee Reiners, and I'm the executive director of the Global Financial Market Center here at Duke Law. And we are very fortunate today to be joined by Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Commissioner Austin Benham. Uh, as well as former Deputy Treasury Secretary, uh, Sarah Brumraskin, for a conversation around the risks that climate change poses to the stability of our financial system. Since joining the CFTC in 2017, Commissioner Benham has advocated that the CFTC utilize its authority and expertise to ensure the derivatives markets innovate responsibly within an appropriate oversight framework. He recently led the CFTC's effort to establish the Climate-Related Market Risk Subcommittee The subcommittee will identify and examine climate change related financial and market risks, which some argue are comparable to those posed by the 2008 mortgage meltdown.
6: ...are thoroughly uh, and comprehensively grappling with, Um, and that is the impact of climate change on financial stability. to underscore this, you might be scratching your heads a little bit and saying, wait a minute, um, there's been plenty of stuff said about climate change. Uh, There is tons that has been written about on climate change um, in the investment space. Um, After all, um, a lot of us have focused on um, the E in ESG investing, right, the E standing for In in the environment. So, hey, so how can this be really something all that um, important or all that novel? Um, And I want to just, just want to point out at the outset that there's a directionality point here. Um, The point of how markets affect climate change is the question that I think has been very well worked on. It's a markets first kind of orientation. What we're talking about today is we're going to flip the directionality and we're looking at the impact of climate change on markets, on financial stability, not the other way around. So this I dare say is what is going to make today's conversation um, really uh, novel, um, cutting edge, and rich with analogy Um, and so this is why we're having this conversation uh, with the right person to be having it uh, with at the federal uh, from the federal financial regulatory apparatus and that is um, Commissioner Benham who uh, you will see Uh, is an emerging
1: leader. Oh my gosh. uh, Okay, so as you heard, the climate has an effect on financial markets and your stocks are dependent on climate change. Nothing to do with Operation Popeye. Again, they're predators. These few people across the world, and please hear this out no matter where you're listening to me on the planet. Your enemy is not China, Russia, the United States, Germany, Zimbabwe, Malta, uh, Iran, Iraq, whatever it is. Your enemy are the people that govern you. I can't explain that any simpler. The enemy are those that govern you. For their interests and not yours. There are many nations across our known world that have that infrastructure built in. They're kings, they're queens, they're socialist regimes, they're communist regimes. But for those of you that believe that are free, you do not have enemies outside your borders. They're within your borders. And they are preying on your fears of health, of unexplained godly events, such as earthquakes, hurricanes, rising tides, to have you do their bidding and comply. This is it. Climate change is simply a way to crash the infrastructure of your nation. Yes, it's mindful to collect plastic, but if it was that big of a concern, we would not be using plastic. They would have banned that shit. Yes, it's mindful to not throw shit in the ocean, but if it was something so urgent, then ships would have been, would not be dumping their waste in the ocean as they travel. They say one thing and they do another. They point out how your poop stinks, but they tell you theirs smells like flowers, that they don't have any. They never poop. It's like in the movies, the hot girls, you watch them, you know, on live TV, they never go to the bathroom, right? Their poop doesn't smell. They don't have anything like that. They're just perfect. This is exactly what your selected leaders are. If you were able to vote, you wouldn't be voting. See, these are facts. So when people come with you at Climate Change you have to understand, it has been created as a weapon over the years in order to ensure to indoctrinate youth. This is why they go for education. To make it as if, yes, we must care for our planet or else it's going to spit us out. The world is uh, very capable as a biodome to filter its own self out. Something called natural selection. Okay. So that's. Pretty much the way it is. Now, here is another clip of Miss Raskin talking about finance and climate change once again. This one is from, I believe, um, 2021 during the Coordinate Finance on Climate discussion. Uh, She identifies herself as former deputy secretary of the United States treasury, former governor of the federal reserve board and distinguished fellow in global finance market center. And I'd like you to see who she's speaking with and what she's saying, because this is from the bank of international settlements. Oh dear. So interesting. I wonder if anyone asked her if she's on any foreign boards giving advice about money, that would be a key question to ask someone who's running for, you know, an office like that and being appointed by uh, the resident in the White House. So uh, take a listen to this, listen, their audio, if it's bad, I can't amplify it, it's at maximum. So I will try my best.
10: Great pleasure to introduce to you you this this evening, Sarah Brumweskin. Sarah is is a Rubenstein Rubenstein Fellow at Duke University University since 2018, focusing on economic resilience and advocating for tackling climate change. Prior to this, She was the Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. And previously, she was a member of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors from 2010 through 2014. She brought a perspective that incorporated consumer protection as an aspect of financial stability. And she recently called for stress testing for the Fed, and more generally, a better integration of climate-related risks in the financial systems. And so when the Climate Crisis Committee at the US Senate during the Trump administration looked for people to testify on the importance of climate change, she was naturally there. Sarah, the floor is yours.
6: Well, thank you, Frederick, for that kind introduction. And it is a pleasure to be joining the Green Swan Conference today. In the midst of one of the largest economic transformations in world history, the Green Swan Conference is providing a place for us to virtually assemble to assess progress and chart the course ahead. I'm reminded of something said by Archimedes, the Greek mathematician, give me a place to stand and I shall move the earth. Here we are in that place. Many of us have now experienced two economic crises in but one lifetime. We have witnessed and managed the effects of the global financial crisis of 2007, and we have witnessed and managed the effects of the global pandemic of 2020. In fewer than 20 years, there have now been two global crashes, albeit different, but nonetheless, two more significant economic calamities than some people have experienced in a lifetime. Indeed, in both crises, the world's economies were overtaken by what has been understood to be a tail risk, a set of events believed to be low probability but high destruction. This last crisis, in particular the pandemic and its ensuing pain and suffering, underscored the fact that there are risks that had not been sufficiently prepared for. Indeed, one can see the United States' inability to prepare for climate change, not unlike its inability to prepare for a hidden virus that created a public health emergency with profound effects on the economy, jobs, indeed the entire common good. If we take nothing else from the global financial crisis and from the continuing effects of the pandemic, it should be that our collective well-being is at risk of serious disruption from climate change. This threat, which is both looming larger and larger every day and with us right now, presents central banks and other financial, prudential, and market regulators with the imperative to act in a precautionary manner. Embedding a precautionary imperative into the work of central banks and other financial market and prudential regulators will require a two-pronged approach. First, preparing the financial system to weather climate change effects that can't be eliminated by markets. And two, incentivizing a rapid orderly and just transition away from high emission finance and investments. But let's back up for a minute and ask ourselves whether and why any approach, let alone a two-pronged one is even necessary. After all, in the United States, at least, we are seeing the emergence of a markets first, private sector heavy approach. Have the potential to create significant and unpredictable economic instability, panics, and fire sales with all the costs associated thereto.
1: So that is who Biden wanted to put in a position of power as such. At our Federal Reserve, nonetheless, where she began. Economies globally have fallen. It is... So heartbreaking. You know, even people memes are going around just to, you know, soothe the pain, but it's a really big deal. They're destroying nations by stopping them from being able to be mobile gas fuels ships gas fuels trucks gas also fuels the companies that make electricity so it's not like owning a tesla that that price went up by a penny for me i'm your electricity is higher your gas bills are higher everything's higher they are trying to collapse the world economy this is how they do it and now they're blaming the war in ukraine for it when it already started straight out the gate Biden sold off our energy. That's basically what happened. So when we get back after this really short break, we're going to have a music, uh, a choice of music, which pretty, pretty much explains that we do live in the land of confusion. And then an old video that was put together um, about a year ago, where I explain how this is playing out, that they're literally destroying America. That is all they need is the destruction of this nation. For those of you on Facebook, I'll have to disconnect. Please um, find me on Rumble. Uh, You can find me there under Tori Says. Um, Actually, allow me to show you the group there right now because I know a lot of people are like I can't find her. Uh, Let me see if I can pull up my little Rumble group. Here we go. That way you guys can see it oh, because I know a lot of people. Are so like everyone's on rumble her. right now. So okay, get on rumble from Facebook Rumble because I'll be disconnecting as I um, begin this intermission. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the real face of who Pfizer is and the real face of experimentation. And I will end it with a video that will give you a clue or maybe two. Maybe I'll give you a little bit more than just that. Of what we'll be talking about tomorrow, which will disturb you, disturb you. So, on that note, uh, God bless to those that are. I'm um, leaving on Facebook, and I will see you in just a few minutes on the other end when uh, we continue on the last segment of this show. Here we go. Hello.
11: Duty, and I answer the call for duty. I would jet spy and sick. I would be distracting all of them with this war, while the people are amplifying their voices and causing chaos by sending letters, by filing lawsuits, by subpoenas, by FOAs, by resistance. Those that want control. And so while they're busy mitigating their side, hating them for the war, and the other people filing lawsuits, standing up, uniting in one voice, countering that chaos, taking out the judges that shouldn't be there, suddenly I would probably, in my script, get Biden sick and enter Kamala Harris. When things are getting even worse in Afghanistan, no one is obedient to and mandates and passports there's a rip and a tear and suddenly to get sick you mean to kick your mouth she comes in i don't think so we don't want that woman but in the meantime unity is important unity across our nation is important They have deployed all assets. This is full blown information warfare. They're destroying America, and you can see it. But what you must have is faith in humanity, faith in yourself. And remember United, we are unstoppable. So it's about time we get off our knees and stand up. Then you realize just how minuscule they are.
12: Because
11: it's about to get really, really ugly. And you have the choice to either bend the knee and roll over because you think you lost and regret it later. Because people can make plans, but God also makes plans. While they would want to litter the streets, the blood, the martyrs—that won't happen. It's 2021. Been around this block before. One voice, voice strong, together. From now until the end of October, there will be full-blown chaos. It'll be a difficult difficult to enter into fall because fall is exactly what you will see the cabal will begin to fall it's still going and it will get really really ugly boot on your face what you are seeing across the world do not think that will not come to you keep your head down keep your head down do you stand firm? Hold the line? The line, the line. the line, the line, the line, the line, There are many more of you out there than you think. And there are many that are going to be joining the ranks very, very soon. They're about to get fed up. Pay attention to what I just told you. If I wrote that script, this is the way it would go. It's up to you to know. No one else. You're the only one I can know.
12: Light
11: still there. Still there. Light's still
1: there. Light. The light. the light. the light. the light. God wins. He always wins. Now that was recorded in August of last year. Almost like I've played this game before. And as you could see, they are falling. And all we need to do is get on our knees and pray. That way they can think that we're like bending the knee, but we're actually just garnering strength. Now, I believe it's important for us right now to see something that we probably haven't understood very well And I see a lot of people during the intermission, they usually get coffee or whatever. But for those of you that stay on, I hope you watched the video. And if you haven't, I urge you to go to YouTube and watch Disturbia's video of Land of Confusion. You see this character that's portrayed as a demon, evil looking, right? With the teeth, right? He looked really scary and stuff leading the people against an army of airplanes that had dollar signs on it, an army of tanks that had dollar signs on it. Everything looked like it had dollar signs on it. And then he gathered all these people together to take down the Monopoly man that had dollar signs on him, where the people took back. So this mascot that um, Disturb has... Seems like, seems dangerous, but in essence, that dangerous person was the one that led the people to the victory to take down that monopoly man, because that's in essence what these nation leaders, state leaders are doing. And, you know, we talk about crimes against humanity and the International Criminal Court which is quite funny and i was so proud when president trump said we will no longer acknowledge them and we will not participate the reason being is this that uh, the united nations have endorsed resolutions of annexation which literally means to unite so it's not really like a super bad thing super bad word i don't know why they say it in that sense but um uh They've allowed many nations, including the United States, to commit atrocious crimes against humanity. This is why I can't stand looking at Dr. Tedros because I know what he allowed Epstein to do in Ethiopia while he was the head of health and human services there. I also can't look at, you know, our own people that are in office, that have been in office for years. Because I know exactly the crimes that they've committed in places that you've never even seen or heard about before. I've introduced you to two such places. Three, actually. One of them wasn't so much of a secret by Equatorial Guinea, right? But then there was this random island that they exiled Napoleon to and this random island off the east coast of Africa that China suddenly built an army on. And everyone's like, yeah, no big deal. It's just a rock island. Like, who cares? Did you know, funny thing, did you know that um, if there is an island somewhere in the world, anywhere in the world, that you can actually claim it as long as it has bird poop on it? There was actually legislation passed in the United States, and I don't know why that works on an international level, so go figure that one, riddle me that, because sometimes I feel like the Riddler, right? Um, there was legislation uh, that uh, was passed, and you can look that up. It's called guano, right, poop, uh, because poop apparently helped you know people grow crops where they couldn't grow crops. So, if you come up on an island that's, I don't know, five feet by five feet, a rock island, you can claim it in the name of the USA as long as there's bird poop on the island. I kid you not. Those are the rules. Guano, guano, guano. And that's how you can claim, (laughs) you know, um, that it's American territory. But before we get into more detailed uh, information in regards to guano and claims and annexations. I'm going to introduce you to how they hide things. So there's going to be a crash, you know, a few minutes where you understand the difference between a shell company and a shelf company. And then you understand the business of shell companies. And then we'll get into talking about Pfizer.
13: That come up when you You want to to start an offshore company, shell company shelf company. What are these terms? What is the difference between them? How do they affect your offshore plan? And why do spy shows on TV seem to talk about them so much? We're gonna cover all that in this video. Hi, I'm Andrew Henderson. There is a lot of terminology out there and there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to setting up your offshore company. Now here at Nomad Capitalist, our perspective is six and seven figure entrepreneurs who, as we say, want to go where they're treated best. They want to find a country that welcomes their business rather than repels it, rather than trying to tax half of it. They wanna go where they can get a good deal and keep a lot more of their own money. But here's what happens. most people are never going to start a business offshore most people are never going to start a business at all and so there's a lot of demonization of people who want to go where you're treated best kind of like the crabs in a bucket so a lot of terminology is thrown around that's kind of media parlance for offshore companies one term you've probably heard is shell company what is a shell company well it is core. A shell company is a company that's set up with no real business behind it. So let's say you want to buy a property or you want to buy a property and then immediately sell it to someone else. You might set up a shell company to uh, you know, do that transaction, have some anonymity behind it, possibly, and then just use it for that one purpose and then close it down. Okay? That is basically what a shell company is. Uh, And that's becoming a lot harder to do now because there's a lot more anonymity or a lot less anonymity rather in companies, uh, as well as it's becoming more and more difficult to open a bank account for a shell company. So if you were just to go and set up a a brand new company and there were no business operations behind it, a lot of banks simply wouldn't accept you. They want to know what the business is. Uh, And so that's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, Where shell company gets wrongly discussed is where they say you, the business owner, are starting a shell company in an offshore tax haven to reduce your tax. The reduce your tax part is correct. And obviously simply setting up a company somewhere else, as we often talk about, that's not enough to simply lower your tax rate. You can't just set up the company and keep everything else you're doing the same. But provided that you're creating a proper legal offshore structure and and you're doing everything correctly, the company, the average entrepreneur... Or investor sets up is not a shell company in the sense of there is a legitimate purpose behind it. People in the media jump to this uh, assumption because it's the accepted parlance that, that scares the average person out there and, and outrages the average person who is you know just you know playing by the rules where they live. That you have the option to go where you're treated best, and then, so they say, "Oh, he set up a shell company in Panama or the BVI or Seychelles." Well. If that company has business behind it, then it's not really a shell company. It's an offshore company, but it's a trading company. And so it's an entirely different thing. And what I don't want you to do is get those two confused. Shell company in reality is you set it up, you do one quick thing, money just flows through. It has often been associated, in all fairness, with illegal deals just flowing money through or just used as a waypoint in, in transmitting dirty money. But that's not what we're talking about at all here at Nomad Capitalist. We're talking about legitimate companies for trading and for investing. Those are not shell companies. Now, the slightly different term off by one letter is the shelf company. Okay, maybe you've heard about the shelf company. This is something that has been historically offered by some of the uh, offshore service providers who want people to offer you a company. You want to open a company, but you don't want to wait around. And so they have a collection of aged shelf companies named because they are sitting on the shelf, as it were. Uh, these companies may have been open six months ago, a year ago, in some cases, you know, five or 10 years ago. What's the reason for this? Again, for the average six or seven figure entrepreneur who is just running a normal trading business, there's not going to be a benefit. Um, this is where you're going to save a few days on incorporating. But, but things are so efficient and quick these days in terms of setting up a company, you're probably not gonna lose sleep over wasting one day or even seven days waiting for your offshore company to be set up the way that you want it set up with your name on it, with with the name of the company that you want. Uh, and so uh, what a shelf company could be used for is someone who wants access to a more seasoned company that makes them look more legitimate. There's an argument that you can more easily get credit through a shelf company. I'm not sure that really works in, a, in an offshore sense. I don't really see a need for a shelf company, and so I will say that um, while there's not necessarily a nefarious uh, intent uh, in and of itself with a shelf company, they are often used by people who are trying to cut some kind of corner, and I just don't see the benefit. If you're going to uh, set up an active trading company that moves your business offshore and you're going to do it the right way, just pick your jurisdiction, whether it's Hong Kong, BVI, Malta, wherever you want to go, and set up your company from scratch. You don't need something off the shelf. I don't see advantages for any of the people that I help do this to have a shelf company or to use a shell company. Hi, I'm Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist. I wrote this book, which you can find on Amazon, to distill a lot of the stuff we talk about in these videos and a lot of the stuff I've learned over the last decade plus traveling all around the world, teaching you about how to legally reduce your taxes build your personal freedom and create wealth faster. Faster. Definitely Definitely get get a a copy of this book if you want to learn more. Now, if you want to watch. I allowed
1: that ad to go because it's actually a really good read and he has some really good videos too. Um, But I hope that helps summarize a little bit of that. Now let's go to the business of shell companies. And it's important because you'll understand with one little screenshot of a, I want to say house and Senate watchdog that I found quite fascinating. So let's go.
3: In my previous video, the Panama Papers scandal has shown a light on shell companies and anonymous business entities. Surprisingly though, these practices aren't new at all. The public's main question is if there's so much fraudulent activity conducted by shell companies, why are they allowed in the first place? That's what I'll share with you in this video, Shell Companies, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. This is Fraud Explained. To enjoy more videos, subscribe to my channel and click the notification bell or else I'll be looking into you too. Just to make it clear, there are legitimate, even good uses for shell corporations. But I bet you're more interested in are the ways the super wealthy use it for less than legal means. Stand till the end to find out the ugly side of these shell companies and the benefits they bring to those who utilize them. Let's start with the basics. A shell corporation is just that, a shell that stores money and engages in financial transactions with no other significant business activity like creating products, hiring employees, or generating revenue. They're also known as international business corporations, personal investment companies, phantom firms, mailbox companies, or letterbox corporations. Their main come-on is the offer of anonymity. They hide the identities of their owners and can be set up anonymously, letting businesses and individuals engage in financial dealings without revealing who they are. When it comes to transactions, shell companies have surprising flexibility on behalf of shareholders. Shell companies can open bank and brokerage accounts, shifting funds around inside and outside the company, conduct regular financial transactions, purchase real estate, buy other companies, hold copyrights, and collect royalties. Shell companies can even stage a hostile takeover of another company, or hold assets in preparation for creating a new company. Most notably, they can also hide the identity of shareholders, executives, and others linked to the shell company to avoid regulators and tax officials and also evade the shadier characters like criminals and fraudsters who may wish to steal assets and threaten their safety. You can consider using a shell corporation for your business to grow its operations while lightening the tax burden. By operating in a country with low tax rates, a business can reach new markets and increase profits. Even if you don't plan to operate in a foreign country, you may want to set up a shell company to invest in foreign markets like stock and securities exchanges. For many, tax avoidance is the biggest come on since shell companies can be used to avoid paying taxes to the federal and state governments. It's technically legal because the assets held in the Shell Company are supposedly earned abroad and can't be taxed by outside countries. With that, you're also safe from local and volatile economic conditions. Take Greece, for example, which a decade ago was sieged by public riots in the streets over national economic belt tightening and inflation, so much so that the national deficits skyrocketed. A more recent example is Venezuela's crashing economy in the late 2010s that caused mass starvation and shuttering businesses. In these scenarios, an offshore shell company would protect your capital and insulate your company from the toxicity of the economic climate causing havoc on the assets of other companies. Not only that, your assets are also protected from lawsuits because a shell company in a country that doesn't enforce US legal rulings cannot be touched and its funds cannot be seized. Take note, this practice is only legal if all required US taxes are paid. These are good uses for them. What about the bad ones? Stay tuned and you'll find out. There are many ways to create a shell company. For example, anonymous shareholders of a company can buy enough shares of shell company to take full control of it, and ultimately merge it with a private company. The resulting publicly traded entity is referred to as a shell company, since there's almost nothing there except for the shell. In the new company, shareholders hold the controlling majority of the public company's shares, and with that the control of the newly merged company and its board of directors. Another way is for registered agents to file paperwork and send fees to the company register on a business's behalf. This is easily done online or via phone for a fee ranging from a couple hundred to a few thousand dollars. Easy and cheap. Usually, shell corporations are found in tax havens, countries or territories with few or no taxes on business, as well as stringent laws against revealing banking information. These tax havens are usually found in popular, tax-advantaged offshore paradises like Panama, the Cayman Islands, or Switzerland. An estimated 60% of the money in Swiss bank accounts belong to shell corporations. In the U.S., Delaware, Nevada, and Wyoming are the most popular states for creating a shell company because of the law and corporation requirements and strict privacy laws. According to the research group Global Financial Integrity, the U.S. is the second easiest country to create a shell corporation in. With a U.S. shell company, foreigners can access the U.S. real estate market, As a matter of fact, a large amount of real estate in major U.S. cities are owned by shell corporations. Wherever it is, a shell corporation must register with the company register of the country it's created in. U.S. shell companies register with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. You might be surprised, or not so surprised, to know that registering a shell corporation requires little personal information it usually only needs identities of the registered agent and the beneficial owner. With this, a company can easily mask ownership by hiring people, known as nominee directors, to file the paperwork under their name. On top of that, a shell corporation can even register as a subsidiary of another shell corporation, surrendering its ownership fully to that other shell corporation. This process can be repeated many times to create layers and layers of multi-level secrecy. This gets more complicated when each subsidiary shell is in a different country, protecting the owner from investigation by any one country. Before you go running off to Panama or Delaware, you have to know that shell companies are not all upsides. There are distinct risks involved in running a shell company. Firstly they are generally frowned upon as a dark side of business, especially with the recent controversy of the Panama Papers. This means that to the general public, shell companies can generate a public relations problem. A shell company can be hostage to financial losses in the stock market when shareholders and customers get wind of its less-than-desirable transactions, like stealing jobs away from a major national brand, or stalling growth with the questionable movement of money abroad. Investors and shareholders are likewise turned off when a company takes profits outside the country and stores them in a shell company instead of using the money for researching new products or hiring new employees, thereby boosting local economy. These moves are seen as self-indulgent and not helping the company grow and generate more profits. Worse still is when the shell company draws the ire of the IRS, or federal regulators. They may be subjected to investigation, or worse, litigation, giving underlying corporation and the true beneficial owner a headache, and maybe even a regulatory black eye. If a company can't prove that its shell company is legitimate, bad publicity will be the least of its problems. As you might have noted already, the anonymity offered by shell companies is like catnip to criminal enterprises who thrive in the shell company's gray areas. Even Masek Fonseca, the notorious star of the Panama Papers, made a statement regarding their documents, saying that they've done nothing illegal and their offering of quick and easy shell companies were very much in keeping with the global reputation they've built over the past 40 years of doing business the right way. Yes, while shell companies arguably pass the legal smell test, they can still be used for criminal purposes, which in turn may catch the eyes of law enforcement. The most common illegal use of shell companies is for evading taxes. The super wealthy may hide money in shell corporation to shield it from taxation. In fact, some of the notable names in the Panama Papers were Madonna, Shakira, and even the Queen of England. Check out my other video, The Panama Papers, to see some of the other shocking names on the list. Aside from tax evasion, shell companies have been known to launder dirty money from illegal activities by deceptively hiding the true nefarious sources of the money. Some have also been used to engage in illegal business ventures, like the sales of narcotics, hiding money earned from illegal arms sales, or even involvement of large-scale sex trafficking. More relatable to some, shell companies have been used for hiding assets from a spouse in a divorce, which is a type of fraud. Many of you think that tax evasion and tax avoidance are nowhere near and only happen in far off places with coconut trees and white sand beaches. Unfortunately, the reality is it's also a big deal here in the US. The U.S. Treasury estimates that around $300 billion a year is laundered through the United States. Through shell companies, foreigners are coming in and buying up property. Some perfectly legitimate, but some are clearly money laundering corrupt officials, and other people parking their cash in property. All these make it impossible for regular folks like us to afford real estate. Bottom line, there's no question that shell companies are illegal. But in the court of the public eye, that hardly makes them good. Even so, shell companies can play a pivotal role in the management and control of assets, storage, and cash flow. All safe from intrusive and prying eyes. This is seen as a big positive in business, where operating in secrecy means more freedom to grow. That's why business entities often resort to shell companies. What about you? Do you think shell companies should be stopped altogether? Or is there some good in them? Let everyone know your thoughts in the comments down below, and I will be responding to all comments in the first hour. You might think that it's just better to avoid shell companies in favor of safer means of saving money, like with the bank. Then you should watch my other video, How Banks Make Money, to find out how your money actually helps a bank make so much more money. Stay, stay tuned! tuned. Alright, so now,
1: while well, those on watching can see something quite tasty on their screen about Pfizer, I wanted to, um, I found a video that talks about guano, and this is important because it'll make sense as to what I'm going to be speaking about today and tomorrow. So let's go.
14: Video was made possible by Brilliant. Learn about neural networks, gravitational physics, number theory, and more for 20% off over at brilliant.org slash HAI. So what do this and this and this and and that have in common? Well, they're all part of this, the United States. Now, I know I'll get plenty of comments like these, and for that I'm sorry, but this is going to be another one of those episodes, the America-centric ones. Now, what really binds these islands together is that they're all part of the U.S. because of this, bird poop. In the 1700s, Everyone was farmers. At the time, the world population was starting to increase faster and faster, but the share of people working in farming was staying roughly the same. All around the world, the soil was losing its nutrients from centuries of farming, so growing was becoming less efficient. That was all until a guy named Alexander von Humboldt went to Peru and discovered guano. And by discovered, we mean he saw natives doing something and decided he invented it. Now, sidebar. Guano equals bird poop. According to the beginning of every bad valediction speech in history, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines guano as a fertilizer containing the accumulated excrement of seabirds or bats. This guano was a miracle fertilizer thanks to its high nitrogen content, and the world became crazy about it. By the 1850s, guano was selling in the U.S. for as much as $75 per pound. That's almost a third the cost of silver. People were making their fortunes by importing bird poop, and the market in the U.S. was dominated by only a few key players who spiked up prices. So, William Henry Seward the same guy who bought Alaska, introduced a bill in the Senate which would allow any U.S. citizen to claim any uninhabited island for the U.S. as long as it had guano. Guano mania continued. Businessmen went all around the world to find remote, unclaimed islands with guano. And once they did, these islands were added to the U.S. no matter where they were. This is how the country ended up with places like Howland Island, a 1.5 mile long piece of land in the South Pacific, and Kingman Reef, a gathering of shells reaching no more than three feet out of the water. So the question was, how do you fit these places into the US? These islands were not close to the US. Some were over 4,000 miles away from the mainland. It didn't make sense to add them as states. Most had no permanent population. It didn't even make sense to add them as territories. The US had to come up with an entirely new classification of land just for these guano islands, the insular areas. Any insular area of the United States was considered officially by the federal government a non-integral part of the United States. They had no path to statehood and no independent government. In fact, by law, the US didn't even consider these areas as a land. They were ships. Any crimes committed on these guano islands were prosecuted under US maritime law. The only real benefit of these islands being part of the US was that if another country tried to claim these islands, the US military would come knocking. As it turned out, most islands claimed ended up being pretty useless for guano mining. Many were like Palmyra Atoll, too wet for guano to dry into useful fertilizer, but they weren't completely useless they gave the U.S. an enormous exclusive economic zone. You see, these zones extend 200 miles out from the territory of any country. And within the EEZ, the owning country has exclusive rights to fishing, drilling, and all other economic activity. Still today, Americans have these exclusive rights all around the world thanks to bird poop. The most fascinating part of the Guano Islands Act is that it is still in place today. You can still go and add an island to the US if it has bird poop to mine. Just 20 years ago, an American came across Navassa Island between Haiti and Jamaica, and there was guano, so he put in an application to the Department of the Interior to claim it. They, however, swiftly rejected the claim since they claimed it was already claimed a century earlier. But that makes sense, since today there are no known islands worldwide that aren't already claimed by countries. But that doesn't mean there will never be. Small volcanic islands appear all the time, and so, if the time is right, you could use this antiquated law to add your small bit of rock to these United States. If you do claim an island for the US, you won't want to waste your money on trivialities like building and setting up a school. What will be far more efficient will be to have your residents use Brilliant.org. Brilliant is a fantastic digital learning platform that teaches you not only hard skills, but how to think, like a scientist, a statistician, a physicist, whoever you want to think like. Each course is superbly designed and thought out, complete with approachable graphics and explanations. I've been working through through the course course on machine learning and loving it. If you want to expand what you know, which I...
1: So I let that advertisement go because I know a lot of you homeschool your kids. So as you saw, this is how we claim islands, right? This is how things are done. But what we don't understand is the laws. He kind of mentioned it in regards to how the laws are applied. If a crime happens, then it's maritime law that, um, is enacted, I guess, right? Uh, so if you commit murder or rape children or commit a crime, a financial crime or something, it may be considered something different. But you know, when, when envisioning islands, we think of things like, um, Blue lagoons and beauty in the middle of nowhere, remote. You know, you wouldn't think of atrocities happening. You wouldn't think of children being maimed or people. Voluntarily submitting themselves to uh, exposure to radiation for the good of mankind, of course, or uh, destroying their homes or depopulating uh, areas that had indigenous tribes for the good of humanity, of course, and testing, uh, you know, you would uh, envision something that is beautiful and amazing and uh, gorgeous, right? You wouldn't think of atrocious crimes, right? Oh, well, tomorrow uh, we will go in depth of crimes. We're talking crimes against humanity. And that's the problem that we have an organization apparently called the ICC that um, claims, uh, to protect beautiful islands like the one that you're seeing now. Yet, what if I told you that this beautiful island you're seeing now is the center of destruction? A nation that had no name, but named after someone that passed by and said whatever. A nation that the United States of America uh, conducted and is still conducting experiments on. A nation that <laughs> for some reason is nothing to them. And the only reason you know about it is because it's coming into focus or you uh, saw it on a list of territories of the United States. The only reason, you know, I mean, cause those people like they say are stupid. Why are they living on the ridges of volcanoes? they deserve to die so we'll just have them die while saving humanity of course and see how they can survive um uh, uh, a nation um uh, an environment filled with uh, radioactive materials water that they drink plants and mutations and cancer and to see the effects of it of course the best of humanity and the thing is The United States is at the forefront of this. It freaking sucks, doesn't it? It really does suck. Because if you think about it, we're supposed to be the nation of the free. We're supposed to be setting an example. Yet, whatever. So today I was looking into a few things because I'm subscribed to something called Legistorm. And then I noticed that Pfizer Incorporated acquired its acquired organization name is American Cyanamid. So, you know. And then I saw that the Pfizer Animal Health was actually Zydus Inc. And then I thought, because mm, I'm checking to see what trips uh, were sponsored by Pfizer, but I couldn't find it. But oh my gosh, lots of Pfizer trips funded by American Cyanamid. And I'm like, what is that? Ooh, Uh, let's see. Well, one thing that people don't know is a little bit of history. Like Alexander Graham Bell, did you know? Um, Well, it wasn't Alexander. Sorry, that was a misspeak. It was William Bell. He became president of American Cyanamid in 1922. Um, and his famous statement as CEO or president, whatever you want to call it then, was, even a fool could see what we need is diversification. Well, this company, it's based was based out of New Jersey, if um, I'm not mistaken. It was actually incorporated in 1907. It uh, it's, was the sole manufacturer of the fertilizer called... American Cyanamide, it's a fertilizer, did you, right? But it also makes products like Pine Sol and uh, the perfume Leur de Temps, right? It was actually founded by a guy named Frank Washburn Um, and basically Cyanamide was a combination of nitrogen, carbide, and lime. Um, So people can use it for fertilizer, I mean, in place of guano, of course, right? So, um, uh, he had, uh, Washburn was actually involved in a nitrate operation, guano, here we go again, in Chile and, um, was responsible for building dams in the United States. Uh, he was, um, quite a visionary, right? Um, as a person, um, he, uh, saw ways of utilizing hydroelectric power uh, and creating um, and extracting nitrogen from the air uh, with the use of an electric arc. Now, nitrogen is something we have in the air. We've talked about nitrogen before. So weird. So anyway, um, he patented that process, right? And um, he started new ways to create cyanamide. And um, that's basically how he started. And for this reason, the Cyanamid facility was actually built in Ontario, Canada, so that way the Niagara Falls would be the power that they use for hydroelectric plants, uh, you know, power. Now, um, American cyan- Cyanamid um, was pretty much exclusive for anything farming, okay? Um, And after World War I, uh, farming was completely decimated. And obviously, American cyanamid sales were down too. And so, um, this was a problem, right? So, when William Bell stepped in, it was really, really hard for him to keep it up. Um, They had two types of materials, the calcium cyanamid and the phosphate rock, which they used um, to help and, you know, promote to the farming communities, right? They were trying to, um, give these products, you know, guano, right? <laughs> Man-made guano. <laughs> but anyway, uh, once Bell took on, American cyanamid started to expand, um, it revived the fertilizer industry and the company started to grow. But what they did was they started to expand their market in things. So in order to increase their value as a company and the stock exchange and get all this money done, uh, they were um, starting to diversify quite aggressively. Um, they were starting to take out other companies like um, Calco that was for dyes. Calco was actually one of the premium companies that were used for like lipsticks. You know the red lipstick that supposedly women wore to be patriotic. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was from there. But what they did was they started to diversify so far out that um, they um, started to provide um, pharmaceuticals. And so, when American companies and um, started to internalize the process of medications. Uh, for the reasons of boosting the economy, I guess, and after the war, uh, they had a pharmaceutical division that supplied the typhus vaccine and gangrene antitoxin and dried blood plasma to the U.S. military. Um, so, And um, they had a subsidiary company within the company um, called Davis & Gack that was one of the biggest ones for surgical sur- sutures. So, this company has grown from, you know, just doing fertilizer to a lead in antibiotics. There was a massive, all people that have gone through law school have seen the case from the 70s um, with American cyanamide. Now, I, I wanted to tell you that, you know, it was over tetracycline. Now, oh, where is it? I must find it. Hold on. Um, it's really, I've mentioned this before on my show, but I think it's important that you see it. Um, oh, I hope this video is still, still alive. Um, hold on. It's called The History of Beer. I think I've, I've played this before. Um, I'm looking for the professor, though that explained it. Because there was a professor at Emory who discovered that in ancient Egypt, the way they processed beer was actually a medicine. And that medicine was tetracycline, which supposedly wasn't invented until, you know, uh, the late last century. So um, that was actually discovered from a mummy because they had remnants of tetracycline. I just thought I'd put it out there. But anyway, um, so they expanded into pharmaceuticals and that was pretty interesting, right? But they also have been found to have a lot of contracts lately, with DARPA and with governments, especially New Jersey, for um, environmental protection and a remediation of contaminated soil and groundwaters um, and anytime that there's a disaster they get called in. It's quite fascinating if you look up and see some of these contracts they have uh, with government agencies it's actually quite alarming. Um. <laughs> And the weirdest part about it is the facilities that they have. Um, We've talked about Plum Island and abandoned facilities, but I don't think anything that like, I think that pales to some of the remnants of this company that has abandoned uh, research facilities that as I speak, you will be seeing on your screen um it's um quite alarming when seeing it let me see if this has sound this video is from 2020 so this is one of their abandoned research labs so i think i want to turn down the music while you guys watch so um This company, as you can see from this document, Pfizer Inc. acquired organization name is American Cyanamid. When I was looking to find out about these um, state these trips that they've sponsored for our own politicians, I found that um, this is exactly what they did. They have been doing this for forever and a day. Um, I've told you many times before that the trafficking, the children missing and the women missing and all these people missing is a big deal. But um, they're not being trafficked or missing for sex and sustenance. The majority of them are for experimentation. I've said this so many times before. And this isn't only here, right? It is everywhere. Maritime law. This uh, video is from New Jersey in an abandoned facility. There's tons of them everywhere uh, throughout the United States. Uh, These are where they conduct experiments, um, radioactive experiments, type materials are used, and it's all pharmaceuticals. I had uh, showed you how Pfizer, every single time they got sued, they would use another shelf company that they had parked and regurgitated. It's important to know that back in 2004, there was a whistleblower that came forward. He was a vice president. His name was Peter Rost. He was a doctor, former VP of Pfizer. He came out as the first ever drug company executive to speak out of uh, you know um in favor of reimportation of drugs and stuff like that. But he also said a lot more things. see, what's what's incredible is is that Pfizer um, has bought out many companies. The giant companies are what you don't talk about, the ones that where they acquire brand names from so that they can repurpose them and use them for other things. So like, for example, while they're lobbying within the house or Senate, they're not using the name Pfizer. They're using a name like American cyanamine. Uh, so that way they can obfuscate the drug trials they do and the government contracts that they get. This is how they make sure that, um, there is no trace of what they're doing. Hence why it was so difficult to find the atrocious experiments on animals that Pfizer did because it's under Zotus and Zotus is the pharmaceutical company. There's no research specific arm to it where it conducts experiments, but yes, there is. See, these are all things. The information is all out there. The problem is, is that we, the people have the inability to access it correctly. And, and that's what sucks. that, this has been happening under our our noses and with our ability to see it. It's not like they're hiding it. They're not pretending to hide it. Um, Most of them were agricultural experiments on on animals. Um, I'm going to show you another video um, right now of... um, one of their abandoned research facilities that'll pretty much freak you out a little bit. And there is speaking because it's quite a long video. I'm only going to show part of it so I can introduce you to Zoetis too, before I go for this evening. Um, Let me, um, is this it? Let me see. Yes, here we go. All right. Let me show you this. This is New Jersey, New Jersey. Mm
4: Welcome to Jurassic Park.
0: I'm just goes exactly where we're
6: at because I don't want like to get vandalized anymore of what we are. Some people can probably figure it out from the hallway behind me.
10: Abandoned at the Agricultural Research Lab, i not saying where or the name of it. i wearing
6: my Jurassic Park shirt today because I actually feel like this is like The creepy research lab
5: from
11: Jurassic Park 2 when they go back to the island, but I hope you have fun today. This is also equipment
0: data. This must be the IT department. Look, a book was taken recently. move. See, everything was moved. Yeah. I can't get it There's another busted phone over here. <whistles> Creepy picture. These were chemical storage or something. I don't know. These are probably viewing rooms. They're what? Viewing
10: rooms. Like, if you have a subject, you need to watch and see how it reacts. Because they can. Because the whole wall is a glass.
9: See where it's from.
12: There's clearly something here. Because this is
0: all the things are gone, but that's a spot to dry like beakers and
11: stuff.
10: Oh, yeah, insectary insulation room two authorized personnel only. Yeah, It is because of you in here. You're crazy to see
0: some leftover samples. Oh, I doubt it. That's not creepy at all, the mannequin
14: way. How cool would it be to do a shoot on that stairs?
0: Mm-hmm. Those look like cubicles down there. I I was funny that way. This is seriously
1: I just want to say, do you know how much data you can get just from that old cash register? And then the question that I'm thinking is this happened in New Jersey. This is in New Jersey. This is from like a year and a half ago. So like, you know, if your house is derelict and horrible, they sue you and take your property away and fine you and do all this shit to you. What's going on with uh, Pfizer? Are they just allowed to leave it like that? Can they just leave property like that? Does your state now own it? And why are they leaving it in that state? Well, they're going after citizens. They're not going after big companies that allow things like this. This is one of many of these laboratories around the nation.
0: I'm not trying not to slip on
12: that feet a little I like totally rode through this whole place on the mountain like which is not a stupid idea. Big enough. Something from, uh, from somebody got on the roof and threw stuff down trying to break the bed. Seconds, minutes.
11: Well, forest
0: taken so far the only place we ran to people at.
12: Yeah.
0: Look at the dust. Section. I guess maybe this was the office of whoever was in charge of this lab, in there. Wow. And you can hear the road. Okay. Like that's how close it is.
10: Or, oh no! Thermostat control. This must have been an incubator. Like it keeps things at certain temperatures.
12: What is a door
0: Microwave oven could be harmful for personnel wearing pacemakers. So this was something that had to keep warm in there. The control the environment. Right. So one of the greenhouses is hearing heat on the roof. Mm-hmm. Test
12: tubes. See. Yeah.
8: Uh, I'm surprised mine is standing here and bust every single one of them. There's
10: a whole box of them. Ivan, here are the something chemicals,
0: the post-it note that said, Dear Ivan.
10: So we knew an Ivan worked here.
0: I'm surprised you don't one. Giant never get recorded.
1: So I wanted to pause it right there. Look at at the structures they have there. Cages, some guy named Ivan. Like, I'm wondering why they didn't flip through the pages to see what was going on. Like, I'd be all over that. So those of you that are in New Jersey, you can stop by that facility and, you know, relive your childhood dreams with a bunch of friends that you met in your New Jersey group and cameras and take a look at it. Um, It's the Abandoned American uh, Cyanamid um, Laboratory. So you can look it up. I mean, I would totally go through that documentation. Wouldn't be surprised that the stuff that you see at NABF in Wuhatan, Kansas is probably over there too. Just saying. Just saying. So take a look at what's here. Pretty fascinating.
0: Only one track bar system. These are all just empty,
11: empty autoclaves, empty, um, greenhouses. All
8: right, now we're
1: As you're seeing the pictures, you have to wonder why did they abandon it so quickly? Where did they go? Why are there gunshots? Could be just crackheads with guns, I guess, right? But there's a lot of stuff left behind electricals, vials, untouched equipment. Look at all the that networking equipment that they just left behind, phones. This doesn't look like something where they're like, yeah, you know, we're not going to do it anymore. We're just going to up and leave everything here. And, you know, whoever breaks in and kind of takes a look, you know, whatever. I'm just saying like this is this is this would be my childhood dream to go exploring with my friends and shit. Um, so I'm kind of jelly that those people went ahead and did that. But it's pretty fascinating. They have a ton of data there that we don't know. And it's paid with the <laughs> most of our tax dollars anyway. So why not? Um, So there goes the um, creepy American cyanamide, um, uh, you know, uh, visuals. Um, Here are some more. Um, Let's see. Um, I wonder if, this one this one has some more close-ups. I just want to show it to you. Uh cuz I think it's very important that we understand. I I I always say this to my daughter when she's telling me things uh, about, you know, space. She's like, "You yeah, know, man has gone into space." I was like, "Man doesn't even know what's in their backyard. You want to go look at stars allegedly, please." <laughs>
14: Damn, that's a mess.
1: They left a lot of things behind, didn't they? Look at know. that. It's still
0: in
1: there. It's, this from 2020, you guys. Wow, look at this thing. Pump.
0: Pump, pump. Things
1: are still in boxes, as you can see. Map. The Hiller group map.
7: Dude, they lift like everything in here. Light bulbs broken.
0: Everything. Yeah, look at that.
3: It's crazy. I'm surprised the power's not on. It's not
0: right?
3: It's not good.
7: If it was me. I don't want to touch doors. You know what I
2: mean. <laughs> oh, look at this.
1: Yeah, what was that Atlanta. sound? Super like creepy, right?
14: everything
10: yeah a lab a lab of some sort
0: <laughs> let's see what this room is back here
3: another lab
14: it's not good to walk in this just just more greenhouses look number three
4: so
1: look at all those electricals you guys Like, look at all those electricals. Like, what the heck? They left everything up in a hurry. Like, how did this happen? And no one noticed that a big lab was just abandoned with all this equipment and all these electricals. I mean, all these people that are looking for copper pipes. You know, why go to operating businesses when you could just go to all these abandoned labs from God knows who, right? That just, you know, abandon everything. Well, you know. Maybe, maybe um, this can shed a little bit more light. Zoetis is a big... Hold on. Um, Let's talk about Zoetis, but for some reason, my whole system resets. So all these clips are loading at once, so I apologize. I'm going to try to minimize the noise here. Right. Let's see. Let's just... Get this. So let's see what Zoetis said to the world they did um, seven years ago.
4: For us every, every day, day is it of the animals and their caretakers, the farmers, veterinarians, and pet owners who ensured their well-being. Because whether it's raising cattle or sheep, Running a dairy, poultry, or swine operation, delivering a foal that was born to run, or caring for the family pet, we never forget why we're here. To help you make a difference. To do the research, to find the breakthroughs, and provide veterinarians, producers, and pet owners with the medicines and vaccines they need to promote animal health. To be there, not just in theory, but with feet on the ground for the benefit of everyone. We're Zoetis, the global leader in animal health that brings a six decade history and singular focus on animal health to how we deliver new standards, products and services to where our customers work and live. With almost 10,000 people reaching customers in more than 120
1: countries and a
4: highly diversified research and development program, at Zoetis, We continue to be committed to developing the solutions our customers need. What does it mean? It means healthier farm animals around the world and more ways to care for dogs, cats, and horses. It means there's a dedicated animal health company that doesn't simply want your business, but one that's working every day to earn it. We're going to be there to provide our customers with the medicines, vaccines, and services they can rely upon so they can do the job they do best. Because the world depends on animals, those who care for them can depend on us. We're Zoetis. For animals. For health. For you.
1: Isn't it interesting? Super Chinese too, right? And what's interesting is, is that indeed Congress sees Zoetis as a pre-spinoff name of Pfizer Animal Health. pre Spinoff name. So before they became a spinoff, they were called Pfizer Animal Health. Holy crap! So you mean that Zoetis was after Pfizer Animal Health? So they're just called that. <laughs> see how that works? So my so it's so easy to dispel all these things, isn't it? So so weird, so bizarre. But you know, where did we see Fauci doing all those? naughty things to puppies. That's right. Africa, right? Well, let me show you a clip from Zoetis themselves talking about Africa. It's um, how they're going to be joining an animal care company addressing the African swine flu. What? I didn't know that was that. Well, kind of is. And then the weird thing is the video is titled The Humanization of Pets Brought to you by Propaganda Arm CNBC
4: The humanization of pets Means families are investing In the well-being of their favorite furry friends For years, this stock has been powered by animal spirits Can the company stand on its own four legs?
12: (laughs)
8: While we're out here in San Francisco for the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, we're checking in with some of our absolute favorite companies in the industry. Companies like Zoetis, the huge animal health company that makes drugs, vaccines and medical devices for both pets and livestock. OK, this is a longtime Kramer fave. It's a classic play on the humanization of pets. It's had a gigantic run. This stock is up 340 percent since it was spun off by Pfizer in 2013, including 55 percent gain just last year. And its CEO just retired. So can the new management continue to propel the stock higher? Let's take a closer. Kristen Peck, the new CEO of Zoetis, to get a better sense of where our company's headed. Ms. Peck, welcome to Man Money.
5: Well, thank you. I'm very excited and energized to take over as CEO. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
8: Well, first, Juan Ramon Alex is a huge fan uh, of our viewers, okay? So what can you do to keep his legacy going?
5: Well, I'm super proud of everything we've built at Zoetis, and... I've been there with Juan Ramon, um, who I adore, um, and the entire management team from the start. And as you said, we've had over 330% in total returns since inception. inception. So So it's it's been really, really really great to to do that. that. I I think think as well, as as you look look at some some of the...
1: Okay, so let me tell you something about Kristen Peck, right? I've met this lady. Um, She was actually a target of my interest for a small time, period. Um she actually holds uh BlackRock stock. Uh <laughs> she was a director for them as well. She was actually officially appointed I think this this past year. But before that she was a contributing independent director without getting paid or being put on payroll. But BlackRock now pays her and she has um equity shares in BlackRock, not much, about a quarter million that's reported, and she has about 8 million in Zoetis pharmaceuticals. Now, um, before all of that, she was part of Catalyst, another group that BlackRock also owns. We're going to get to the top of the to the food chain because if you know their names, uh, you know, it's easy to then trace it up to the owners, right? We're seeing a lot of names be popping out. Klaus Schwab, you know, have the Rothschild names been tossed around a bit, Soros and nah, 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 nah. But there's more names that are very more common that you just don't expect. And what's weird is that, uh, you know, uh, her job at RTS, which is a big um, company, I would say, that has had dealings with the CIA and MI6, uh, then this is when uh, she was a target of our interest, um, was where she comes off of. This company was responsible in creating the first attempt to research financial tech in uh, regarding a programmable currencies. (laughs) Look at how that shit comes full circle, from money. You man, this yes, this woman did all of that. So from money, you know, back to money, 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 money. Because drugs are money too, right? So this is where it all sequesters and hence why it starts at the beginning, money, and ends again with money. This woman... CEO of Zoetis that has $8 million interest in Zoetis, which is Pfizer Animal Research. Uh, also, right, also um, is a director with BlackRock, was an independent director that wasn't really officially paid by them, right? Um, and then before that, she was involved in Financial services that I know for a fact, she assisted in creating a programmable currency to counter that of Bitcoin, and they've been working on that ever since. I know that McAfee was too. So let's just listen to what she has to say. What nice words! I mean, she's a great asset
5: for them. Faster than the market. So we've had a great and my job, I think, think is to to build build on that momentum momentum and really continue to invest in innovation. Um, and in wellness, um, and really drive the company forward. So I'm super excited to do that and to be here with you, who've been oh, a big fan of our you. space of and our stock, so thank well, you. Well,
8: I'm a big fan. I'm a pet lover, dogs, cats. And what, what innovations do you have for uh, animals, for dogs, who we know can't tell us that something's wrong?
5: Well, innovation is the lifeblood of Zoetas, as you okay. know. I think we do it better than anyone. If you look over the last five years, we've actually launched 1,100 new products and life cycle innovations in the space and we do that by investing over 1.1 billion dollars in our r d our bd and our capital expenditures and the one innovation we are super excited about is symperica trio which is a combination of products for flea tick um, heartworm and intestinal parasites and we're really excited as you probably saw right. we got approval last year in the eu mm-hmm. um, and we're launching in q1 and we're very excited uh, that we've recently completed Our technical section and are now in administrative review. And uh, we're pretty confident we're going to get approval in Q1 and launch shortly thereafter.
1: Isn't it bizarre how dogs got COVID too? And so did cats, right? So weird. So weird. So um, if anything... Today's show should show you, obviously, today was about money, 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 right? And how important money is to them. But if anything, this should tell you that there's a lot more out there that's untold. And I know all of us are falling right into the traps of, you know, rabbit holes. And we must keep it on a surface, not too much in depth, just understanding the facts. Kind of like you're... You're scanning for what's most important. And what's most important now is putting the pieces together so that you have a full understanding. Cause when you get whiplash, right? When you, eh, no, not a whiplash, you're going to get smacked in the face with some real hard truth very soon. Um, <laughs> it's important to have that knowledge because, you know, you'll be able to deflect the pain because when truth comes out, and it's in a shape and form that you didn't expect. It's, it's pretty detrimental to your psyche. And it causes a lot of concerns um, to yourself, to your internal space. Uh, tomorrow, the show will be quite um, concerning to many. Uh, You will feel that you've been betrayed. You will uh, even go through emotions of being ashamed. And I've seen people that have already seen things that have transpired. Oh, this is why the world hates us. The world can't hate you for something you didn't do or that you didn't know of. The one thing that the world would love is to see us fix it and make it better. And the only way we make it better is by showing them that if we are willing to stare truth in the face and be fearless, that they can too. It's important for us to stand strong in truth because a lot of people don't seem to to realize that we're actually headed in a direction where truth is actually now a crime. You are now outlaws for speaking truth. And while they won't come out and say it yet, and they talk about it in terms and conditions, there are laws within your states, read up really carefully, that even apply to social media companies if you're silenced. And if there are many of you in your groups that have fallen through the same fate that you can utilize, public accommodations are areas of events and socializing in restaurants and coffee shops. Look at your local state legislation. This is why Congress went around behind your back to take power away from your states, which is, again, something that we need to reinforce that they're not allowed to do. We shouldn't be prancercizing. We should be focusing on solutions because the bottom line is, at this point in time, it is the land of confusion. And this is war. This is actually a war. And it's devastating war because most people are going into it blind, not realizing that they're fighting a war. They think it's just business as usual or those corrupt politicians, you know, (laughs) corrupt politicians. They own you. The only way to fix this is by removing them.
0: The good and the evil This is war I got a guy running uh, to throwing away To the soldier, the civilian The parter, the victim This is war It's the moment of truth and The moment of life The moment to live and The moment to live will to the day to the It's a world to the first to the to the We will to the to the the